Welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast. Elijah Rising is an organization empowering women recovering from sexual exploitation. This episode is going to help you become more aware about the issue of sex trafficking and inspire you to take action. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Elijah Rising podcast. I'm your host, John LaChapelle. If you haven't watched Recovery in the Gospel, pause this episode and go back. This is a part two to an episode that we did uh, a little while ago on recovery. I'm back with Nick Long and Jessica Gobble. Nick is the executive director and founder of Sharpen Recovery. Jessica is our recovery coordinator in our restorative care program here at Elijah Rising. And we, we realized in that first episode, we didn't touch on a, a massive component, and that's how addiction and trafficking are um, perpetuating one another in, in the city that we live in and, and nationally, really. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about how addiction really perpetuates trafficking. Um, Nick, you guys opened up a home for women a year ago, and so I know that a lot of your demographic probably falls into the conversation that we're having. Jess, you are here at Elijah Rising, so you're seeing firsthand how addiction and trafficking are going hand in hand. And so let's just start there. Maybe we'll, we'll start with you, Jess. Okay. Help, help us bridge for the audience this connection between substance abuse and trafficking. Okay, so um, it's hard to have specific numbers because mm-hmm. a lot of people, it's a, part of it is based on self-identification, but there are studies, mm-hmm. almost all of them show that over 90% of um, victims of trafficking mm-hmm. have had some kind of involvement with drug abuse um, or alcohol abuse, mm-hmm. whether voluntarily or involuntarily. Oh, wow. So it's a huge number. And a lot of times people can end up with a subs- like a substance use disorder mm-hmm. or an addiction, even if it was involuntary use, mm-hmm. right? They can still end up in this trap if it started off involuntarily. Mm-hmm. And um, be- for some reason, there's this disconnect in the mm-hmm. services that are offered mm-hmm. um, in those two communities. And I think part of it is because there's these stigmas. There's mm-hmm. a stigma about um, being a survivor of trafficking, and there's a stigma about... Um, substance abuse, yeah. substance use, and the legalities that are mm. involved in that. So mm. there's this distrust of authority yeah. um, because you could be given criminal charges, mm. right? Mm. So there's this huge um, disconnect, and there's this overlap that you can't miss. Yeah. I'm sure, Nick, that you mm. see this in, in the, the women that you serve, the people that you serve that there's a huge number. All of us in the recovery community Mm. can tell you that we know firsthand Mm. people who are survivors Mm -hmm. of trafficking. Yeah, yeah. there's so much overlap. Um, And it's, it's, you know, it's to, I think of it as not really a surprise either with Mm. with the places that substance abuse brings so many people. Mm. Um, The depths of the, you know, just ha- where the chains of addiction take somebody, it's there's not really any boundaries, and you know, you know, I know that for me, active in my addiction, you know, I was gonna do anything that I was, I needed to do to mm-hmm. get the drugs that I was mm-hmm. a slave to mm-hmm. into my body, and yeah. so 
you know, being a slave to these substances, mm. um, it's it just takes people to places that are yeah. just unthinkable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found this statistic I want to just share with us. 95% or more individuals who have been trafficked have been impacted by substance abuse, both, both voluntary and involuntary. And so you mentioned that as well, this involuntary nature. Can you speak to that? What does that mean, involuntary? Sure. So um, I've worked with um, some women, and part of their story is that you know, their trafficker mm. was administering drugs to them involuntarily. Some, very often, oh, wow. they don't even know what drugs they were. Yeah. So you could ask what drugs they, you know, they can tell you how they felt. Mm-hmm. They can tell you that they were paralyzed. Mm. It's like we've all heard stories of someone um, being slipped a roofie, right? Yeah. And they don't know what they took. They mm. just know. So that is mm. um, not uncommon at all mm-hmm. for people who are being traf- trafficked, yeah. for the traffickers to do that. Yeah. So. And I know from our experience, you know, we have intervention teams that go out and minister to women in, in different scenarios. And there's actually a group of women that aren't being trafficked by a trafficker or by a pimp. They're specifically led by their addiction. They're, they're yeah. trying to sell themselves for their next hit. Mm. And, and I shared this with our team a few weeks ago, but I was actually on a run at Buffalo Bayou three weeks ago. And I came across, I, I ran across someone uh, sleeping on a bench. And I just, I, I'm kind of wild like this. I just had this impression, you need to stop and pray for that person. And it was a, it was a woman and she was just broken. She shared so much of her life story with me, her three kids um, in Galveston, and she was trying everything in her power to give to her kids. Mm. And the thing that was keeping her was this addiction to heroin. And she just, I mean, we just, we prayed together and she was so vulnerable. She was saying, you know, mm-hmm. I, I let these men pass me around so that I can get another hit mm. of heroin so that I can eat. And so, you know, we, we talk about this substance abuse and, and, and the real craving. We hit on this last week, body, soul, spirit, how everything is pulling. And I, this is so important now that I'm speaking. I think we have to recognize that the substance abuse it really is, first of all, a spiritual issue. And that's why it's so trapping for people is because their spirit is now open to a world that they weren't made designed to enter into. Yeah. Mm. And so I want you guys to maybe hit on that, some of the experiences you've seen spiritually and the connection between addiction and some of these sexual tendencies that you've seen in women. Jess, you got any examples? Um, Well, that just makes me think of um, a quote that I hear, I've said a lot from Mm -hmm. a recovery book that talks about the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a perfect description because it's, Opening yourself up to, and I'm just speaking as a person in recovery and remembering what it was like, mm. opening myself up to whatever, whatever, whenever, mm. whoever, because I went places I never intended to go yeah. and I did things I never intended to do because mm. I had lost the power of choice somewhere. Oh, wow. And even if I had a choice, I was always going to choose what I needed for my addiction. Mm. And... Um, I always had this sense that the shame of knowing this isn't right, right? And this need, like, crying out to God, you know? But it's like foxhole prayers, like Mm -hmm. crying out to God, but then going to this, my addiction is really my God, right? That's And like like any God, that's what I'm going to sacrifice everything for. Wow. Right? And lay it all down for. And the thing is, 
the sacrifices that are required for mm-hmm. that are everything. Mm-hmm. And so every hope that you ever had, every mm-hmm. you know aspiration, every belief about yourself, mm-hmm. every belief about God, yeah. you give about right and wrong, mm-hmm. about what you're willing to do, mm-hmm. all of that mm-hmm. is what's required yeah. to serve addiction. Mm-hmm. And there really is no choice when you're in it. Yeah. There's really no choice. Somebody in a recovery meeting that I go to says, in their testimony, they say, this stuff was killing me, but I was going to die if I didn't get some more of it. Wow. And, you know, yeah. oftentimes they uh, say, you know, we're not sick. We're not bad people. We're sick people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's a, I think that's so important to... Uh, remember when mm. seeing the addict destruct yeah. and when seeing the um, the wayward behavior of you know where addiction takes somebody is it's they're not a bad person they're a sick person mm-hmm. just totally shapes the whole um, you know prayer for a solution yeah. and you know I think for us at Sharpen our value our first top value is treat disease you mm-hmm. know we talk about the how you know what the sp- uh, spiritual issue is um, and just mentioned in episode one you know the the disease component of this and how mm-hmm. um, it's a I'm in, in the, uh, the recovery literature that I am a you know fan of says uh that I'm mentally and bodily different than my fellows. When mm. I, and the way that substances engage with my body, it just it, it just different than the way that it engages with other people's body. Mm. And so it just, no surprise, the places that, you know, change to the substances brings people who are wired different and sick yeah. and need to treat this disease. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important that Nick is saying too, because one of the areas that I think like we as the church have missed out an opportunity to minister to people and um, to show the love of God and to bring solutions is the the only understanding the sin part of this. Mm-hmm. And so it's like watching the product of this disease and you can see the sin that's the product of this disease, mm-hmm. but not addressing the root cause, yeah. right? And so... There's the spiritual aspect, but just like Nick said, there's this physical and mental aspect, too. And now I touched on this before in the last podcast, but with modern science, we're able to actually see how is that different. And the thing is, there's this shame associated with addiction Mm -hmm. that keeps people from being able to be open and honest and being able to seek help. Mm -hmm. And um, my hope is that we as the church will be the first, like the forerunners to say, like, let's get rid of the stigma. Let's get mm-hmm. rid of the shame. And yeah. let's, there is help for this. Yeah. There is medical help for this. There is, um, you know, mental health help mm-hmm. for this. And yes, there, and there's spiritual help for yeah, this. And we don't want to just focus on the spiritual sure. any more than we would want to if someone has cancer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If someone has cancer, we're not going to say... You know, and they're, let's say they have cancer, and as a result of their cancer, they're in despair and they're mm-hmm. yelling at their husband. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. We're going to say so good. that yelling at your husband, you know, that that's not okay. Mm. But let's look at what's underneath that, yeah. right? Yeah. And let's look at the real issue, which is the cancer. Mm. Well, and we offer ministries for that, mm. right? So let's do the same thing with these issues of addiction and alcoholism that the church really has kind of like turned away from. Yeah. And not just turned away, but really been... Um, a tool in helping people be in denial. Mm. Like, keep it a secret. We don't talk about that. Yeah. And we in the church, we want to, we like, Jesus is the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to yeah. talk about it. Yeah. There is hope. We ha- There's hope. Let's yeah. not hide it. Mm-hmm. There's no There's no hope in hiding it. No. Yeah. You know, so. In the first episode, we talked about, you know, I talked about the idea of, like, diabetes being just, it is what it is when you got to treat it and mm. it's, kind of like alcoholism it is what it is you got to treat it mm-hmm. you know you know when i can that's why you know certain like a program like alcoholics anonymous you know i think there's so many testimonies i hear about people coming to saving faith in christ mm-hmm. when it's kind of even taking that direction with alcoholics anonymous that may not be um you know particularly christ and christ alone mm-hmm. um it's simply for a lot of people i guess tracks for um you know people to process um, their lives and substance abuse behaviors. Um, But I think of how when I take my medication for my disease and my addiction, I can Mm -hmm. function as a normal person, like a diabetic Mm -hmm. who can take his medication. He can, he can function as a normal person. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that that's, I think it's so important in relation to this topic of like where the overlap is with trafficking, because Mm -hmm. if somebody can treat this disease, that's a a mentally and bodily, you know, issue and in a clinical diagnosis and, um, you know, understood in that regard by medical professionals. And Mm -hmm. if I'm able to treat that, I'm able to look clearly, more clearly at the way that I'm living my life. And mm-hmm. I'm able to, you know, it, why, why I'm not going to continue these patterns of mm-hmm. behavior that are absolutely destructive mm-hmm. in sober mind mm-hmm. um, if I'm sober mind. Because yeah. it's just, I think the overlap is just, uh, it's sad and it, it can, and it can be solved. I think the, yeah. the problem can be solved um, yeah. and there is hope in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I it's just, a passionate thing. Just thinking about what you're saying, Nick. Um, there's a study that was done that I heard um, Gene Alert from Samaritan Women talking about mm. on familial trafficking oh, and wow. how shocking it was. And what she said was, sixty-seven percent of minors that were trafficked, or mm. of sixty-seven percent of familial trafficking, the trafficker was the mother. Oh, wow. And when we hear that, it's shocking, it's right? Shocking, because absolutely. you think of w- what we think about a mother mm-hmm. automatically is mm-hmm. like a protector. You know, it's the last thing you would think. Mm-hmm. Of those 67% of those mothers, though, I can't remember the exact number, but it was around in the 90s, mm-hmm. percent had addiction issues. Yeah. So here's what that makes me think. Just like what Nick is saying if we're going to address, if we want to fight trafficking, we're, mm. we're fight. That's what we're here to do. We want to fight yeah. trafficking. Yeah. One of the ways we can stop it is by going, where are there risk factors so mm. we can practice prevention? Yeah. Not just restorative care after, mm-hmm. you know, what can we do for prevention? And one of the things we can do is recognize that 
children of mothers who are addicted Mm -hmm. are at a much higher risk Mm -hmm. for being trafficked, right? So we can recognize that there's this opportunity for prevention. There's an opportunity to get help Mm -hmm. for these mothers, Mm -hmm. right? And to recognize that it's not just them being bad mothers. They are sick and they Mm -hmm. need help. So there's the prevention aspect and also, like, let's stop the cycle. Mm -hmm. We don't want to see this go on. Yeah. Multi generations. So um, I was telling you guys before the before we started this that I was just looking at a study today that said ninety two percent of domestic minor sex trafficking survivors that were in a study that was done. Um, the study was done in twenty fifteen through twenty seventeen, but the results mm. just came out in twenty twenty. Oh wow! And of these domestic minors that were sex trafficked. Um, 92% of them mm. had, so these are the minors, mm. 92% of them had alcohol and substance abuse issues. Mm. So it's not just that their parents yeah. are putting them at risk. They're also leading risky lifestyles, which are leading them to make choices mm. that puts them in risky situations. Yeah. Mm. So it's this perpetual mm-hmm. repeating. Yeah, it's, it's actually horrific. And I think... What you're speaking to is is the need for cultural and societal transformation. Yeah. Like I, I I hear you speaking, and I'm like, this is insurmountable on paper. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's important that we hit the vulnerabilities mm-hmm. as we're talking about these issues. We have to talk about the vulnerabilities that actually perpetuate and set up people for this kind of lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and so you have poverty. You have um, single parent homes. You have um, this. Uh, school system that a lot of kids are like in and out of schools and they're not um, in a position where they can really thrive and learn and grow. Um, So there's just a lot of constraints that have been cast off. And, you know, I I think I I was doing a little bit of research myself. I am not a recovery specialist. I don't run a recovery program. (laughs) Um, So I had to do a little bit of my homework. But there was an article that I read, a really reputable article that I read, um, about the gap that's between uh, law enforcement, our prosecutors, our city leaders that, you know, we've wrongly prosecuted women in trafficking with their substance abuse instead of seeing them for what it is. It, it's a disease. They are first addicted and bound to these mm-hmm. issues. And that's why they're vulnerable to trafficking, you know. And so I think Having a better equipping system for our law enforcement, a better equipping system for our city leaders to understand, let's first treat these people as they're sick. Let's treat these people that have a disease and not treat them as prostitutes or treat them as people that are exploiting their bodies for sex and first treat the, the symptoms of what's causing them to be vulnerable. Yeah. And so can you guys speak a little bit to the vulnerability, vulnerability, excuse me, that you see with these people that you're treating, some of these women? Yeah. Some of the backgrounds, the lifestyles that they come from? You know, yeah. what, what really shakes up the conversation is the, you know, where the addiction was primary and first and that led to mm-hmm. that trafficking. But then there's the involuntary where it leads mm-hmm. to the addiction, like we're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can't, you know, how sad is that, you know, with people who are now uh, chained to substances that, you know, they didn't intend to, you know, go that direction. And, yeah. um, 
you know, I think when people talk about how, you know, how can we do anything about it? Well, how no one was going to tell me anything, you know, to change my direction when mm-hmm. I was in my disease and yeah. active, unfortunately, which is such the hard truth. But, you know, somebody said you either, either hit the bottom or see the light. Oh, wow. um, for me, I saw the light. Um, mm-hmm. I think the prayer is that, you know, people would see the light, um, you know, people that they would um, be engaged with. Mm. Um, we are the light mm. as people of Christ. Yes. And so, you know, and then, you know, very clear boundaries. And I think a part of what you're saying um, in an educational, uh, you know, task for so many is to learn these boundaries and how do we engage with mm. individuals who are sick mm-hmm. and how they're in, interacting with our lives. How do we, you know, my parents kicking me out of the house was mm-hmm. the best thing that, ever happened to me in my addiction yeah because we don't live here and do this mm. so unfortunately nick i know you're a sick person but you can't live here and do these things here mm. and so things like that helped me to hit bottom as well yeah and kind of understand the consequences of where this sickness was taking me mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i really appreciate you sharing that i th- we talked about foster care, you know, being one of these vulnerabilities between uh, addiction and, and the potential of trafficking. And so I, I want to bridge um, the two of you guys' relationship. And so you've kind of been off my radar a little bit. Like we haven't seen each other, Nick, in a little while. But Jess was bringing up Sharpen Recovery. And I was just like, oh, man, I know the guy. And so I want y'all to speak to kind of the dynamic that y'all have seen with recovery um specifically recovery is what you deal with nick and then jess like you're in recovery but you're also in an anti-trafficking field and so talk to me about that whole dynamic how you see the two needing to come together Uh, the conversation that you and i had jess is the need for recovery programs Mm -hmm. to have some kind of outlet of specializing for people who've been trafficked yeah being resourced to understand um the perpetuation of those things. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to make a plug for Sharpened Recovery for a second. So um, we in the recovery community know that not all recovery homes are equal. Yeah. Some are really bad. Some yeah. are um, like drug dens. <laughs> you know, mm. some there's a plug or a dealer on site. Um, yeah. Wow. And Sharpened Recovery is really good recovery home. Mm. So I'm, he won't plug himself, but I'm going to plug him. (laughs) I'm going to plug, really, I'm plugging Sharpen Recovery because there's a huge need. And Mm. so when that need is met, I I want the word to get out. Um, That being said, um, there's also a huge need in the recovery community to have an awareness about trafficking. And it's not because there isn't a desire for that. So I talk to recovery professionals all the time. And so often, um, I actually was on a call, I think that's what I was telling you about this month, with um, recovery coaches from across Texas, all mm-hmm. different cities. No one had a single resource wow. that they were referring people to that came to them that had any kind of trafficking background. Mm-hmm. So they were happy to meet me and they wanted a resource, but I'm Elijah Rising, we're one. Mm-hmm. But this is, I think, true not just in Texas, but all over the United States. Mm. There needs to be this connection so that when someone goes into recovery and gets clean, gets sober, gets the help that they need Mm -hmm. for their addiction, they can then be um, 
you know, transferred or partnered with a program yeah. or have someone that can come to them that can offer help mm -hmm. so that there's restoration and recovery for people, survivors of trafficking. Yeah. And the same is true in the anti-trafficking movement. Mm. So I, when I first started this, I wanted to be mentored by someone who did this. Yeah. Someone who was in a, you know, a restorative care program mm -hmm. who is also in recovery and whose recovery informed. Yeah. And as we were building our program mm -hmm. um, and we were including this, it there's not a lot out there. Yeah. So there's not really anyone, there wasn't anyone to mentor me. Yeah. Um, it's really like, um, we're, you know, teaching ourselves mm -hmm. as we go along. And um, God has been faithful to provide resources that mm -hmm. we need so that we can do this well, but there needs to be more. And it's yeah. like, um, we need more workers. Mm -hmm. um, we need people in the recovery community to come over. Yeah. And I think there's this fear, right? Mm -hmm. There's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Yeah. It's, it feels so big and overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, if you don't have experience with recovery or if you don't have experience with trafficking, right? Yeah. It can be a little bit scary, but I'm hoping that we can really get the word out and that we can give each other tools. Mm -hmm. So really my hope is that we can give tools to the recovery community. I remember in the seventies, cause I'm old, you guys, <laughs> um, and the 80s, there was a tool that they would use. You may be an alcoholic if, and you would answer these like 20 questions. And mm. if you answer 18 of these, you're almost definitely an alcoholic. And if you answer 11 or more, maybe mm. you should seek help, right? Yeah. And it was a tool because there had been this stigma before mm -hmm. and it was so shameful. And they were trying to shine light on it and make it simple to make connections so that yeah. alcoholics could get the help they need, yeah. right? And so much has changed since then. Mm. I would love to see something like that, multiple things like that, mm. multiple tools so that people in the recovery community could help survivors of trafficking yeah. and survivors of trafficking would have the access that they need mm. to help for recovery. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think what you're saying is yeah. revolutionary because a lot of times we find that women that are being trafficked won't admit that they're being trafficked. They don't even know how to self-identify. They don't know how to self-identify. Yeah. And so if there was a for lack of better words, a questionnaire that they could begin to line upon line answer without any agenda that they were self-identifying. Yeah. You got to the end of it and you go, hey, these are all signs that a person is being coerced, frauded, or traffic exploited, yeah, you know? Exploited. And so I, I, I think you just are on, you're on the precipice of a really breakthrough idea because I think we need we need to bridge the gap between someone who is being trafficked and someone who is just addicted to a substance. Like yeah. if they are hand in hand, let's identify that. If they're separate, let's identify that. And so what I want to see this podcast do is really awaken people and cause people to see that there are resources out there. I think it's easy for someone to be in a position and go, well, we just don't have the resources. We just don't have the funding. We just don't X, Y, Z. And it's almost an excuse to not take the next step to see greater fruit from the work that you're doing. Yeah. And so do you have vision for equipping recovery programs, recovery coaches, advocates, and being able to understand the, the dynamics, the, the, signs of someone being trafficked aside from the identification tool? Yeah, I mean, training. 
Okay. For sure. Training, yeah. partnerships. I'd love to see liaisons. Like I was just actually oh, praying cool. about this this morning. I would love it if we could have liaisons. So someone who is in partnership mm. with the anti-trafficking community and the recovery community yeah. that could keep the two informed. I'm would... going to jump in for a second. Yes, please. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. This is fresh information, but... Elijah Rising is invited um, mm. on oct- on August twelfth. Okay, um, to come share with at our sober living leaders meeting. So mm. at our last sober living leaders meeting, we had about fifty different recovery homes represented. Wow, where different organizations were wow. there, and we got to share tools and um, how we can collaborate mm. better, how we can develop organizationally to serve the participants better. Mm. But what a helpful resource it would be for the room to hear about Elijah Rising, mm. to hear about tools for engaging with this population who is living in their homes. Yeah. So yeah. August 12th, um, somebody <laughs> from Elijah Rising needs to come and speak to these yeah. recovery home leaders wow. um, and you know engage them with the, this these tools. And I think um, mm. that'll be exciting and that's that's a, a you know gonna be a breakthrough in 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 many lives. Absolutely. Um, just the knowledge. Mm. Um, what can what can you do um, mm. to yeah. you know be wind in the sails of these resources being um, brought to the people you know who could benefit from them. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to have us kind of ask ourselves that question. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It's like the the desire that we wanted from this podcast just like <laughs> burst out of you. Like, hey, I'm going to have 50 recovery programs yeah. in a room. Come equip. And so I think we've got our work cut out for us, you yeah. know, in terms of how do we curate a training that can now equip recovery programs with what they need to identify women. And even, you know, we don't talk about this much, but there are men that are being trafficked as well. How do we bridge the gap between those who are being exploited? And so did you have another thought you wanted to finish with? No, I'm so excited about that. But I was, I just was thinking as he said that, you know, I've reached out, I personally have reached out to a lot of recovery centers in the um, greater Houston area Mm. to do that very thing. And every single time, they have been so receptive Mm. and like, yes, we want to do something. We just don't know how. So, but I'm one person, you know, and uh, we have a restorative care program. And so um, I'm super psyched about that um, in August, but we need more people like, Mm. you know, I would love it if people would join us in praying for Mm. um, more people who could help us. Yeah. So why don't you make that pitch to our audience right now? Okay. Pray for us. Come help us. <laughs> is that a pitch? It is a pitch. <laughs> no, yeah, seriously. Um, pray, you know, the um, there's such a great need, um, and I don't think that people are aware of it. The people that are equipped to meet it may not be aware of it. Mm-hmm. And so if you guys would join us in praying for that, and also um, if you're that person, if you have a heart for anti-trafficking, if you have a heart to um, help survivors and you have a heart for recovery, or if you're in the recovery community and you'd love to be a liaison, mm. or you're in the um, trafficking movement and you'd like to be a liaison to the recovery community, please, please get in touch with us. Yeah. You guys, thank you so much. This has been so beneficial. I'm, I'm so encouraged by the things that we've been able to discuss. And I actually want to put you out there, uh, Jessica, J-E-S-S-I-C-A, at ElijahRising.org. <laughs> for anyone that has been yeah. 
provoked by anything that Justice said, want to give you a direct contact to reach out to her. Um, again, Nick Long at sharpenrecovery.org. Uh, and so, you guys, this has been a gift. Thank you for taking your time to be here. We hope that this mm-hmm. podcast has been helpful to you. If you know of someone who has uh, been in familial trafficking where families have trafficked uh, sons and daughters, if you know someone who's in recovery, who who's a, in addiction and needs recovery, um, we want to make these resources available to you. Um, with the name Elijah Rising, it comes from a prophecy in the book of Malachi that before the Lord comes, before Jesus comes in his second coming, that the hearts of the fathers would be turned to the children and the children to the fathers. And so everything we've talked about is really fathers and mothers taking their place to um, help disciple and train and and rescue sons and daughters from the wiles of addiction and, and brokenness. So thank you guys for joining us. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today for this episode. If you were inspired by this content today, please share, rate, and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation at elijahrising.org donate. Your support helps us continue the vital mission to combat sex trafficking. Until next time.